from the people on the people my hits the roof dancing on the ceiling on the people I got people on the dancing on the people I got people Episode two, SMQBs, the Tom Brady appreciation episode. We're going to start out one word, yes or no. Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time. Patrick, you first. Absolutely, yes. Rooster. Yes, and congratulations, partner. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate your support. It's it's an unqualified yes. Yesterday was the icing on that goat cake. And and I'm going to weigh in. Absolutely yes. No doubt about it. Can't even argue the other side. House, join the rest of us. We make it unanimous. Tom Brady, greatest of all time. Yes, right? N-O. Oh, yeah. There's always one. I've, I've come. We got to have a Stephen A. Smith on this one. Listen, I've come to peace on this. Quarterback and I think continues. I think he has the greatest body of work. I think he has the greatest body of work. I think he has the greatest resume. Uh, at some point, we'll have to really fight it out about what does a goat mean. But is he the greatest quarterback of all time? As a quarterback, I don't think he's the greatest quarterback of all time. By the way, yesterday's game certainly didn't cement his legacy as the greatest quarterback of all time. It added to his incredible body of work, incredible body of work. But as a quarterback, is he better than Montana? No. Is he better than Marino? No. Is he better as a quarterback? He's got an incredible body of work that may never be beaten, although I think his opponent in the Super Bowl, if he stays healthy, may challenge him one day. He's that talented. But I tip my hat to Brady getting there. He hasn't he hasn't won anything yet this year other than the NFC championship. He's got to win the Super Bowl. And I mm. congratulate Milk and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Great defensive effort yesterday. So ah. listen, as a as a New Englander, he scores 31 points, by the way. Just more short fields. More short fields. I used to love Tommy as a New Englander until I found out that he was a Trumper. And you guys all know that's when I stopped loving him. But you cannot contest that he is the greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, 10th Super Bowl. The guy's taking his team to 10 Super Bowl. What 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 is the criterion house? What do you what do you think the criteria is for greatest of all time? We have this debate all the time between LeBron and Jordan. LeBron's body of work is already better than Jordan's. There are not a lot of sane people who say that LeBron's better than Jordan. Well, doesn't <laughs> winning count? Yeah, but he, winning counts. Win, winning counts. And he he's unquestionably a good leader. They surrounded him with incredible talent this year. Yesterday, he had a quarterback rating of 78.3 with three interceptions, and they should have been five interceptions. I don't know if they awarded an MVP yesterday, but if it didn't go to Barrett or JPP, then something's wrong. Do you think it's a coincidence that – the Bucks went from seven and nine to now a Super Bowl berth, and the Patriots absolutely sucked this year. Uh, I mean, are they, that's just a fluke. 
That's no just, coincidence. Must nope, have just nope. been the defense, Milk. I mean, look what the Patriots surrounded themselves with talent this year, not to mention a number of people who waived, did an NFL waiver this year because of COVID, and what the Bucs surrounded themselves with talent. One of the biggest plays of yesterday's game, bigger, two, two of the biggest plays offensively in yesterday's game, Milk, you have to concede, were on players that were not on the Bucs last year, Gronk and Fournette. Right, but they wouldn't be, they would not be in Tampa without Brady. Right, that's true. Listen they wouldn't, to this, to listen they to wouldn't this. have even gone to the team. Right. But listen to this. Tom Brady in the first half of that game threw for 202 yards. And three touchdowns. Sure, he sure he threw three interceptions, but one of them was his fault, the first one. The second one was totally on Evans, went right through his hands, and he tipped it, it to was, a receiver to a defensive back. It wasn't and the, third, the best pass, I'll admit that. The third one was Fournette's pro- fault. Fournette was supposed to pick up the uh, the blitzer, which was coming from Brady's right, and he and the path he took was to go around Brady on the left and try to do an S pattern. By the time he got there, the blitzer was knocking Brady down. So I I, I don't know. I don't think the three are on him. Two of them. I, are. I know that we are all talking about the end of the game and what happened and the controversy there and all of that, and that was the difference. I want to. I'm going to say. This game was decided by Tom Brady. I'm going to go back to the end of the second quarter, going into halftime, 13 seconds left, fourth and four. Arian sends the punt team out, takes them back, puts Brady in because he's got faith in him and surely wouldn't have done that with Jameis Winston. We pick up a first down to Fournette to get it to eight seconds left. And then the, 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 Probably the best pass he's thrown all season. Maybe one of the best Miller. best passes of his career. Of his career. Circumstances. Without a doubt. Who was on the team last year, by the way. And that that was the that was that series right there was the game, in, in my opinion. Well, and Brady talked Arians out of punting. Arians wanted he to did. punt. Brady said, Let me let me get the ball and I can get points on the board. Absolutely. I also think if you get up on Rodgers and keep the pressure on him. He's not as good. And and look at the look at him. the games he's well. They got to him five times. Well, look at the games he struggled with this year. The Bucks twice. The Eagles. I mean, they, they they beat the Eagles, but the Eagles gave him all kinds of fits with their pass rush, and I think the Saints did too. Yeah, I look, I think you I can, th- Toby. I think to your point, I think you can certainly build a case that there are quarterbacks who have played in the NFL who had better skill sets. There's no question about that. You could probably find some quarterbacks uh, in in these playoffs who put together a better complete four-quarter game than Brady has through three games so far. But when you simply look at the way he finds a way to win under every scenario, including leaving Belichick, New England, and going to perennial loser franchise that just really, I mean, there's a whole nother topic here about what Tampa has done to deserve the sports success it's having lately. <laughs> I mean, nothing. Idle Town. We'll get to that later. But the fact that Brady, and then to go into Green Bay, into Lambeau and do this, I mean, there is just magic in that guy. And it sounds absurd to say, but here we are. 
you know, Super Bowl number whatever it is at this point. It's outrageous. There's just there's nobody who comes even close. He's infected what, what, the team with a winning attitude that they did not have before. Absolutely. Milk, what was the milk? What was the score at halftime? We if you were still sober, 11. we went up by 11, 21 to 10, it's 21 to 10. And the final score was 31 to 26, right? Yeah. Yep. The guy, th- this winner, this winner, this clutch winner scored 10 points in the second half. Okay. 14 of the bucks points in the game came off turnovers. The three takeaways that green Bay had resulted in six points. That is the stat of the game. The Bucks converted their turnovers. I tip my hat to them for doing that. Green Bay had three takeaways that converted to six points off of anemic play calling and fantastic defensive end play from the Bucks. Uh, yeah, I, I'll give you that. But I mean, yeah, but Brady to... executed the drives that scored the points off the turnovers, I mean, short field or not. Rodgers couldn't to, do it. Win is a win, baby. First drive of the game. The first drive of the game. They set the tone, scored a touchdown, un- another ridiculous pass by Brady, that Evans catch. His first drive was his best drive. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I just don't I, I don't understand how, like, after what, what, what we witnessed yesterday, just the simple fact that he's taking this team to the Super Bowl. I mean, that he leaves, you know, the this dynasty. Team. Just that he leaves the dynasty of New England. And and the very next, the first year he's, I mean, we're not even talking about a year removed. We're talking about a season where there was, what, no preseason, COVID, disaster. And he just walks onto that team and takes them to the Super Bowl. This is really not a good day for people to argue that he's not the greatest quarterback of all time. Like, How, it, it, how many Super Bowls has Brady been in now? Ten. Ten. The next closest quarterback? Five. I, Enough I said. I think you I make figured a great it point, out. Nace, about this team is completely. I mean, you're playing in a brand new offense. There was no preseason. Um, they, 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 it took time to gel. I mean, to do that and then go to the Super Bowl. I mean, he was in New England for 20 years. It was the same people, the same co- same head coach, the same everything. They all knew each other. And to have, their, I mean, they were practicing at a local high school back in August, perhaps illegally. Perhaps. You no, know, we we had we we had a good discussion yesterday amongst the SMQBs here during the game as to what it takes to be in a dynasty, right? And whether or not the Chiefs maybe become a new dynasty. And one of the things that it takes that Bison pointed out was it it takes some luck. And I will tell you that, again, Brady had a great season. The Bucs have had a great season. There were definitely some breaks along the way. I'll just give you two, two examples. Uh, you know, they were, they were 0-2 against the Saints and now faced a Saints team with a depleted Drew Brees who had not recovered. And yesterday, it was very clear that Rodgers was sorely missing David Bakhtiari, his left tackle. I mean, they feasted on that left tackle. Is it a different outcome? I have no idea if the left tackle is playing, but that's part of the game and it requires a little bit of luck. I'm not saying he's a lucky quarterback. I'm just saying that, that there were some things that definitely broke the Bucks way and that broke Brady's way this year. 
so must let's, be let's, damn lucky ten, 10 times. Yeah, well, let's, look, look, there's injury. I mean, if we're going to talk about injuries, we lost our offensive linemen in the Washington game. So both your safeties. Both your safeties. Uh, we had both safeties out. Whitehead, I guess, the second half of the game mostly. But Winfield out the entire game against Aaron Rodgers. And I agree, Toby. I don't want this all to be about Tom Brady because the defense was absolutely amazing. Sean Murphy Bunning had the game of his career. That interception he had was just, I mean, it was ridiculous. Barrett and JPP. Dave, the, the line, I mean. And Whitehead, before he got hurt, caused that fumble. Whitehead, yeah, an unbelievable play coming in in a, in a backup role. Um, yeah, they, they without a doubt, without that defense, we lose that game. But, but you know, with all of that being said, amazingly enough, Green Bay had a chance at the end. You want to talk about head coach decisions. What do you guys think about that? Going for a field goal instead of putting the ball in the end zone on fourth down. Made no sense. What is the I, I, possible explanation for it? None. Choke. Choke. Young coach said. choked. What was his reasoning? He said he something already like. He says he regrets it. He choked. Yeah. But did he forget that what the score was or what? how much time was left no. in the game? No. I mean, he, you know, he had to score a touchdown to get a two-point conversion to go to overtime or a field goal and a touchdown to win the game. And he thought his defense could get the ball back because they had what the last three drives stopped Brady. But, but I mean, he, you know, but, but Pope the Bear. There. Pope to your point there. Pope to your point there. If he's if he's relying on his defense, right? If you don't get it, the Bucks, who you've just stopped three times, are on their own eight yard line, and you've got right. the equivalent of four timeouts. It makes no sense. You've got one of the best quarterbacks. You've got the best wide receiver. You've got a great tight end. You had another wide receiver playing very well. An eight-yard play is doable, and if you don't get it, the Bucks are first and long from their own eight backed up. It, it's a bone. It's one of the more boneheaded football decisions of a head coach in a long time. I mean, it's really hard to recover from that, right? I mean, that that's you, you arguably... Now, look, I mean, you still got to score and you got to get the two-point conversion, and that just gets you tied. I mean, there's there's nothing to say that Green Bay wins that game and goes to the Super Bowl if they don't make that, you know, if they if they decide to go for it in fourth down. Having said that, man, that's that's hard to recover. I mean, what does Aaron Rodgers think walking off the field as far as does he want to keep playing, you know, for, for this team, for this coach at that point? And that's hard to bury that mistake. Well, the offseason is going to dictate whether he stays or not. Are they going to go out and get talent or are they going to stand pat? Because he was upset about their offseason moves this year. They have a first-round quarterback waiting in the wings, and you've got opportunities at teams from the Saints to the Colts. Patriots. 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 I mean, there, there's a lot of opportunities. And, you know, I read something this morning say, before you think that's so crazy, let's not forget that Brett Favre from the same team left to play a year at the Jets and then went on to play for the Vikings. So I, I, it would not shock me if Rodgers was in different. Well, uniform. the score is already reporting that he's uncertain of his future with the Packers. Leverage. Just, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. either. He was pissed at he's pissed. After, after the draft. Yeah. And, you know, he's all on this self-actualization tour of his. 
Maybe, maybe he is that sponsored self, by State Farm. Maybe his self actualization yeah. <laughs> leads him back to his hometown and he plays for the Niners. Wouldn't that be something? Ooh. So listen, before before we finish um, rubbing off the bronze on the statue of Tom Brady, I want to talk for a second about a stat that a couple of stats I read today on who his opponent will be in Super Bowl Fifty Five. Patrick Mahomes is twenty five and one in his last twenty six starts, and Patrick Mahomes will play in two Super Bowls before ever losing an NFL game by more than one possession. The last time Patrick Mahomes lost by more than a possession was November 2016 versus Iowa State. Holy mackerel. I think he's two Super Bowls before he's even had his wisdom teeth out. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably right. Yeah, I mean, if that if are you scared? I'm completely scared. I mean, look what happened in the first game. Although, you know, that game, we did come back at the end. But, I, I mean, hopefully we figured out Tyreek Hill at this point. Yeah, you He's might like, want to cover double-team Tyreek. You yeah. have, like, five touchdowns against you or something? Yeah, well, 300 yards, three touchdowns. <laughs> Almost broke the NFL record. I want to shadow Kelsey as well. You, you might but, want to find like a Russian nerve agent to use on these guys before the game. That's probably a better a better option than than double teaming them. I'm very, I mean, yeah, I'm very they're, they're they're playing out of this world right now. Yeah, I mean that's really I mean, that that game was not close enough to really. Bad, the Bills are a damn good team, and they were just overwhelmed. They were yeah. they, they they did not it, the moment was way too big for them. Well, and the Chiefs spotted them nine points again. I mean, it's like that, they don't like to come come back from double digits. Uh, otherwise, it's not a playoff game. Mm-hmm. That's that seventy one yard catch and run that that Hill had. The moves that he made. I mean, it's like you know, it was like Tecmo Bowl to to throw out an old school game. I mean that that was. I'm watching that and I'm thinking, who moves like that? Like what at twenty miles an hour? Yeah, it's it's. What do you do about that? So are we? Are they, we just are we just going to not mention the Bison's prediction that the Bucks had zero point zero zero? Do you want to do you want to talk about that? Come on, Milk. Where have you been? <laughs> do you do you do you want to talk about that, Nace? No, I think you need to talk about that. It's your team, Milk. I I look. I think you should be thanking me. I mean, I I laid up that anti jinx. I put the I put the hex on the Packers for you. And quite honestly, you're welcome. You're just, you're damn welcome. <laughs> I think we should stay out of the prediction game based on. Based hey, on we, were, we, were, I don't, we were 50%. Yeah, Rooster, you and I nailed it. Well, for one game. Yeah. <laughs> Did well, anyone, let me well, tell you. We don't have to do predictions Super Bowl until right? next week. Did anyone get both games right? I don't think so. You didn't? Pick the, did we pick the Bills? I picked the Bucks and the Bills. I, I said I said Bills if Mahomes can't play. That doesn't count as a pick. Yeah. By the way, interesting. Holy Pope, Pope, Pope with the ultimate hedge. We're changing your name to Hedge Pope. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> did uh, Mahomes lose an offensive lineman last night? Yes. He did. Yes. Big yes, time. So that's interesting. Same situation. Eric Fisher is a big, big time. He lost yeah, his blindside uh, piece right, to that. So that's, yeah. Don't 
discount potentially what that could mean. Did we you speaking of, of linemen? Did you all see that there was a, a Ravens lineman who was released after they lost the game and then was signed by Green Bay and is the first player to play in the same playoffs for two different teams? No, yes. I, I thought somebody did that on the Colts though. Didn't they? There must have been two two guys. It was some wacky story like that. That's a good yeah. that's a good one. That is crazy. So so um I think we'll we'll probably save our predictions for all of our listeners for, for next week, right? But what do you have to say? What do you what do you have to say about the offensive coaching performance of one Eric Bienemy yesterday for the Chiefs? I mean, it's time to give that guy a job, right? Exactly. Rooster, why doesn't he have a job? Well, let, let me let me read to you the headline from uh, one of one of my friends who writes uh, as a sports writer. In an offseason in which seven teams are looking for a head coach for black candidates, it was the same old story. I mean, really, come on now. It has to feel like the owner owners continue to pass over black candidates for for much less qualified white candidates. And then they just interview these guys to check off the Rooney rule box, right? I mean, and if a minority does get hired, it's by a team like the Jets or the Dolphins that are either tanking or already at the bottom of the heap. That's what it, I mean, that's, that's the, the feeling, you know, out there uh, of those who, who follow this. And I, I, I think, it's a, it's an important topic, you know. Um, the the Rooney Rule was created thanks to the Bucks, right? Milk. I mean, in two thousand and two, the Bucks fired a Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy, and the Vikings fired Green, right? Um, Dennis Green. They both had winning all time records, and they get fired. So the so the head of the diversity committee, Dan Rudy, creates with his committee, the Rooney rule and things have gotten no better since, because by the time the Rooney rule was enacted in 2003, you had Dungy and Herm Edwards as the only black coaches. I mean, how many do we have today? Marvin Lewis. Not, not in 2003, not a head coach in 2003. So the Rooney rule has, has resulted in exactly maybe zero to one additional black head coaches. Okay. Yeah. Um, last year, there were five openings, and you know the teams, including my Giants, passed over Bienemy and and others. And Tony Dungy himself said the the league has to take uh, drastic measures. And you know, I sent you guys that that uh, undefeated article by my friend Jerry Bembry, and you saw Stump Mitchell had some really drastic measures that he was proposing. I mean, those are seriously drastic. But let's look at this year: seven openings this year at the end of the season, right? And and before we get into that, kudos to the Jets. The Jets hired the first Muslim American head coach in the NFL. And, uh, you know, that's a big deal. That is a big deal in, in today's environment. And this guy, I think, is going to be the real deal. You know, he comes from a, a football town, um, East Dearborn, Michigan. 95% of his high school are Arab Americans, and they're all football fanatics. And that's he, ra- he was raised in the auto industry, blue collar, 
football high school. And it's just a really interesting story. I, and again, I, I take my hats off to the Jets for hiring him. But House, to your point, Eric Bieniemy has been the offensive coordinator of the Chiefs since 2018, during which time they've had the most prolific offense in the league. Um, three straight AFC championship games, playing in their second Super Bowl during that period. They won the first one. And a lot of people are like, well, you know what? He doesn't call the plays. Well, you know, that's that's big deal. He's in the Andy Reid coaching tree. None of those people in that coaching tree ever called the plays under Andy Reid. Reid always calls the plays. And those people include Peterson, formerly of the Eagles, John Harbaugh of the Ravens, Rivera of the football team, Sean McDermott, and Matt Nagy. I mean, these are seriously successful coaches in this league, all under Andy Reid. And the enemy has also been a head, uh, an offensive coordinator in college and was offered the job at that college, which was his alma mater, my son's alma mater, the Buffs. So, I mean, this guy's got talent and, and credentials out the yin-yang. And who do we see getting hired right off the bat? Guys like Dan Campbell? I mean, come on. I mean, he, he was a tight end for my Giants. He was a funny dude at the time, but he's a fucking meathead, right? I mean, did you see his press conference? The he guy? should have been a bite your kneecap. He should have been fired uh, after the that conference. Down and we're going to get up and bite your kneecap, and then you're going to knock us down again, and we're going to bite the dick of your dick off. And, <laughs> you know, you're going to, and, and it seemed like the point of the story was, Ultimately, you're going to win, but we're just going to keep getting back up. Big he, sounds, he sounds like the Black Knight from Monty <laughs> Python. Right, right. Come back here. I'll bite just your leg scratch. off. <laughs> <laughs> your arms off. Anyway. Listen. He, he is typical Mr. Cliche, rah, rah, rah. I mean, seriously, you're going to lead a bunch of grown men with that nonsense? Come on. Not only, not only that, it's for the Lions, too. Yeah. I mean, that... <laughs> You know, if you're a Lions player or fan, is that what you want to hear? Doak Walker and Bobby Lane are rolling over in their graves. Yeah. No coincidence. No coincidence. Matt Stafford is out. He's like, get right. the fuck out of, the, out of this place. So what about the Chargers? The Chargers have the most dynamic rookie quarterback last year in Justin Herbert. And so what do they do? They go out and they get uh, a guy who has zero – experience on offense, right? This guy, Brandon Staley is 38 years old and is, and coached as recently as 2016 in division three, where he coached for 10 years and still couldn't manage to get a head coaching job. Right. Then he goes on to be the offensive. uh, I mean, the outside linebacker coach for the bears and the, and eventually becomes for one year, the Rams defensive coordinator. And you're going to entrust Justin Herbert to this guy. I mean, what? I don't get that at all. I really don't. Because the Chargers, to me, are an up-and-coming, really exciting team that needs to build around this offense that they have with Justin Herbert. That's a questionable hire, although I guess you can't be too disappointed in the Chargers on on hiring minority coaches. Mm-mm. True. That's true. I, would, I, thought overall, that Bien-Ami, I thought Bien-Ami would have been a perfect candidate for the Cowboys after uh, the Clapper was fired. 
um, yep. with Dak Prescott, you know, coming up, uh, being, I mean, working great with quarterbacks like Mahomey. I, I just, and Zeke um, needing a recharge. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get it, you know, and they interviewed Marvin Lewis, who's the, the Rooney retread that every team will bring in to check the box. Uh, and then they hired McCarthy who, uh, yeah, he's got a ring, but he didn't do much sense and there wasn't a whole lot of respect. Uh, so, and you saw how we did this year. I, I would like to see Bienemy go to Houston and maybe he can repair the relationship with Deshaun yep. Watson. Does he I, I want to go there? I mean, that's, well, yeah, you right, you know, that's, would. that's the I last mean, one. Available. It's a bad situation. And it's all, he's going to take the job because it's the last one. And I don't know. Well, you know, know Houston's only, well, how about, how about the Jags, the Jags and urban Meyer? What do you yeah. think about that? Milk? I mean, guy hasn't coached in two years and never in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, the Jags are trying to find the Pete Carroll lightning in a bottle. You know, it didn't work with Jimmy Johnson. The great head coaches in the NFL didn't work with Saban, you know, the greatest college uh, uh, coach of all time. So Urban Meyer, they're hoping they'll have the Pete Carroll experience as opposed to the others. All right, let's talk about the Falcons. The Falcons hired the whitest guy they could possibly go out and find. Whoa, hey now. Hello, Georgetown prep alone. You know, but that's but, that, but that's actually an I mean, interesting story. If Arthur story. Smith didn't get that job, he probably would have been uh, put on the Supreme Court by Trump. But you know, that, that there's there's I want to come back to the the black coaches thing. But the Arthur Smith story is actually sort of interesting. I mean, this kid's father is the founder and CEO of FedEx, Fred Smith, and he worked his way. You know, I mean, look, clearly he had the financial means. He didn't need a super high paying job to take care of his family. All right. So he definitely has every advantage under the sun. At the same time, he also, you know, he's apparently put in the work, was a video quality, you know, control guy, was a a clipboard holder. And, you know, he worked hard. He worked his way up. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a good story there. But I think I want to go back to the black coaches thing because we shouldn't focus exclusively on the enemy, right? I mean, there are a host of worthy uh, candidates, worthy black candidates. Absolutely. To get job opportunities and interviews and who should be coaching. I mean, look, every team is trying to find lightning in a bottle when they hire the coach. They're all trying to find that, you know, the, the, the Sean McVay model, the young guy who's going to come in, be there for a generation and go to a couple Super Bowls, and everyone's looking for that, and it's a crapshoot, okay? It is largely a crapshoot. We've all had coaches hired on, on our teams here and been really excited about them, and they, like a year later, they're gone, or you just know they're never going to succeed by week three, mostly at my team. Um, but the, the question is, with so many qualified black coaches in the NFL, just freaking law of averages, right? I mean, just, just the simple fact that, that how is it happening? I mean, how are we in this spot where they're just not getting opportunities? You know, one of, is, is to- one of them is Toby's. Yeah. I, I got to address that. I, I got to address uh, my team. The NFL has a serious, serious race problem as it relates to coaching and management. Look, I don't know who Nick Sirianni is. And I bleed green and I hope that the Eagles will keep stockpiling Super Bowls. But I'll just say that um, Deuce Staley 
is not only in the Andy Reid coaching tree, not only is he beloved by the fans, he owns that locker room. He owns the respect of those guys and he's paid his dues and was, you know, had the same level of contributions to teams like a guy like Brandon Staley and some of these other guys who were offensive quality control and things like that. He knows how to coach a football game. And all he's been, sadly, because of the Rooney rule, has been the token interview. And good for Deuce that he finally had enough and got out of there and went over to the Lions. And while I think the Lions are a joke because of Dan Campbell, I think I think Deuce was betrayed, sadly, by the Eagles organization. And I, I support him leaving. But the two best assistant coaches by far this weekend were Todd Bowles and Eric Bieniemy, And neither of them have coaching jobs. And only one of them might. But I, I agree. I'm not sure that Bieniemy would go to the Houston Texans. But when you when you rattle this off, Arthur Smith, Urban Meyer, Brandon Staley, Nick Sirianni, and Dan Campbell. There's a problem. Now I don't know what the solution. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if there has to be a quota, but it can't be just an interview. It's resulted in tokenism, and the NFL has to fix it. But don't league. forget about Leslie Fra- Leslie Frazier, Byron yeah. Leftwich, and yeah. Stump Mitchell. Man, I mean the the, the league. Eye-opening. The league has to do something about this, and I, and I don't know either what the, what the answer is, and maybe we should all give it a little more thought and 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 report back. But the league has to get involved because you just it's just not working by leaving it up to the owners, Ro- Rooney Rule or not, it's not working. Yeah, so. well, I, I think we can all agree with that. What I, I the positive note that Toby just brought up was the Bucks' offensive and defensive coordinators are both African-Americans. So that was a positive yesterday. Yeah, right. Um, Byron Lethwich, is he's not ready to be a head coach. He's only been coaching a couple of years. Uh, so I don't think he's getting – I don't think he's even trying to get a job. And Todd Bowles was a head coach, and that didn't turn out well. He might just be a really unbelievable defensive coordinator. I don't know. Which happens. But I think sometimes these teams put too much – faith in these coaching trees, right? Like it's like now Sean, it's the Sean McVay coaching tree. So LaFleur is, he, he was with McVay, Zach Taylor with Cincinnati. That's a McVay guy. So it's like these, they, these, these teams go after these, these coaches just strictly who they, they coached under. And I don't know. I mean, I make, I think it's like contributing to this in some way. Well, that, you know, I, I do think Bison is right. This would be a really interesting topic to delve into further in another episode. But one thing that I think is evident now is, you know, we could look at we could look at who's supposed to be in charge of implementing the Rooney Rule and why isn't it? Why is there no teeth? And what are the interleague uh, fixes? Right, but. I'm starting to think that the free market is becoming the fix because of today's modern athlete. If you look at LeBron James and you look at Deshaun Watson, they're no longer willing to just shut up and dribble, right? They're, they're, Deshaun Watson is going to affect some change in Houston. He may say, uh, you know, I don't care what you do at this point, I'm out. But Houston has decided to call back Leslie Frazier 
and Bienemy for second interviews. And I think that it has a whole lot to do with Deshaun Watson taking a stand. Yeah. And I think that as these guys, you know, show more courage than their predecessors did for all kinds of reasons, I'm not knocking their predecessors, but they're showing a lot of courage and they're going to start affecting change on their own, the superstars. Well, look, that's, uh, you know, if, if we had sponsors, this would be a perfect place to take a break and let our sponsors say a word about us, because I, I think that's that's well said to wrap that uh, rooster. I, I do want to recognize one thing. We have a member of the SMQBs whose team is going to the Super Bowl. And to me, that's really one of the worst possible things that could happen. I mean, I got to <laughs> tell you. I think, you know, when you talk sports, and this this may not be popular, but, you know, sports are, are, are amongst friends and they're good-natured rivalries. But the idea, Milk, that you have teams that won the Stanley Cup, were in the finals of MLB's COVID uh, tournament that they had this past year. World Series. Let's call it what it and, was. And now are in the Super Bowl. I just find it a travesty, and it's it's very upsetting to me personally. Uh, I don't think that I can root for your team in the Super Bowl, uh, and that may make me small, but I'm okay with that because I really think that's what sports is all about. But so you you would be rooting for one of us in your division instead if no. uh, we were playing in the Super Bowl? But it's... <laughs> Well, that's impossible. So Tampa, by the way, that that this has all happened during a COVID year, and I, I haven't been able to go to any <laughs> postseason game at all. Um, so there's that. You can always listen. True fandom is about supporting your team, not somebody else's team. I got news for you guys. In the next millennium, if the Giants where the cowgirls or the WTFs make the Super Bowl, I hope they lose. Yes, thank you. I am not. I am not rooting for them. I'm not rooting for them. They are my sworn enemies. They have provided misery and terrible losses for a long time to me. And I'm sorry, you guys are my friends. I'll be happy if you're pouring a beer for yourselves, but I want them to lose. And milk. I, I, I want you and your kids to be happy after the Super Bowl, but Tom Brady is a non-shaking hand, cheating, grifting loser. <laughs> and I am rooting I'm rooting for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And I I'm sorry. I yeah, look, I can understand why an Eagles fan would be rooting against Tampa. I totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll leave it at that. I mean, come on. Pope, you can't feel differently. You're not rooting. If Washington football team is in the Super Bowl, there's no chance you're rooting for them to win that game. No. You're right, but I will, I will tell you, because I thought about this, knowing we talk about it, there was one exception, and I'm still kind of uh, embarrassed about it, but at the time it made sense. When Philadelphia played Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, my selfish cowboy interest, my selfish cowboy interest was I didn't uh, want Brady to get another ring. No, you're being so I, I supported the Eagles, and I did that because I didn't want Brady to have another ring, which would be more than five for the Cowboys. Oh, you're so a guy. You were just being what a guy. Toby's buddy. There's no reason. There is no reason. But I didn't cry when the game was over. Root for Kansas City, by the way. What is the reasoning to root for Kansas City for y'all? There's no reason. You should be rooting for Tampa 
because I'm the difference there. Right. I Clark, the the, uh, I the owner of the Chiefs, Clark Hunt, is a neighbor of mine. How about that? Uh, no, hedge. hedge again Hope has, has a, a connection. connection. Yeah, Pope has a connection. Milk, I I am rooting for your bucks because Thanks, number one, you're my friend. Number two, I'm a grown man, and number three, oh, you are. Number three, I don't. I'm, I'm forty. In my childhood <laughs> fantasies. I'm a man. Jesus Thanks, Christ. And grow up for. That was no. the same reason you were rooting for me when Super Bowl Fifty Two when the Eagles played, right? Well, my, the, the I, Patriots were. Or you my just grown two up team. in the last three years. The Patriots were my uh, number two team at the time. Oh, number two team. There's a whole other episode, right? That's there. another episode. That's, a, that's another episode. Hey, you grew up in tiny little New England. You can root for two teams because none of them are <coughs> in your state. Listen, sports is largely, if you're a committed fan, it is largely about misery. I mean, that's you're sharing in misery with your your co-fans in your city and who you root for. And every once in a while, you get that moment of joy and it, it, it lasts, you know, decades even. You remember those championships because of the misery. So because I'm your friend, Patrick, I have to continue to root against you so that you can wallow in the same misery that the rest of us have been. I, I have been miserable for 18 years. Yeah. We have not won a playoff game since we won the Super Bowl, by the way. And uh, I've been through hell, and I would appreciate your support now. <laughs> in in my When I was a child, I was a diehard, diehard Yankees fan. I mean, I watched every single game, and they were horrible in the mid to late 60s, all through the – early to mid seventies, they didn't win their first world series during that time period until they beat the Dodgers in what? 77 or 78. Okay. And that whole time, the Red Sox were the enemy, the, the, the enemy. And later in life, when the Red Sox finally made it to the, to the world series and the Yankees weren't in, I found myself pulling for the Red Sox because oh my I was God. so familiar with their struggles. And I had so many neighbors and friends who had been lifelong Red Sox fans. And you know what? I, I think this would be a really interesting psychological study. Here's what I think is part the part of the explanation for the person like House who could never, ever root for a division rival is if you're if you are perpetually persistently the Red Sox or the Eagles and you're a good team but you just never quite win because there's the Yankees ahead of you that whole time for all these years it's really hard to root for the Yankees when you're a Red Sox fan when you're a Yankees fan and all of a sudden 76 77 78 comes along and all of a sudden the, the it starts rolling again like the old days by the time we get to 2004 and 2007, it's kind of easy for me to say, yeah, you know, let, let the Red Sox have a couple here. That's all right. Ooh. I think there's a, something to that. If you are persistently struggling to get over the top and there's one team ahead of you that whole time that you can't get over, and in the Eagles' case, for years it was three teams they couldn't get past, then you become kind of bitter. You just do. Um I'd be content if I never saw the Giants win another Super Bowl. Oof. I wouldn't drop it. I think the same is. I think. I think Philly and Boston fans have a lot in common in that regard. Wow! And not coincidentally, you don't want to be standing in left field 
while any of those fans are on the wall behind you. Oh. So, Listen, speaking of baseball. Yeah. Let's talk a little baseball, Pope. So this last week, we, uh, we lost a legend. Um, the great Hank Aaron, uh, the all-time home run king, because I don't recognize the steroid guy who passed him. Um, and it was uh, at the time back in 1974 uh, when Hank hit the home run. Uh, it was a momentous occasion, uh, not only in baseball, but the, uh, the entire country and, and really part of the world um, to see somebody, an African-American like Hank, uh, do what he did. Once again, a standing ovation for Henry Aaron. So the confrontation for the second time. Aaron walked in the second inning. He means the tying run at the plate now. So we'll see what Downing does. Al at the belt delivers, and he's low, ball one. And that just adds to the pressure. The crowd booing. Downing has to ignore the sound effects and stay a professional in pitches game. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron, who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves, but by his father and mother. He threw his arms around his father, and as he left the home plate area, his mother came running across the grass threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth. As Aaron circled the bases, the Dodgers on the infield shook his hand, and that was a memorable moment. Aaron is being mobbed by photographers. He is holding his right hand high in the air, and for the first time in a long time, that poker face of Aaron shows the tremendous strain and relief of what it must have been like to live with for the past several months. It is over. At 10 minutes after 9 in Atlanta, Georgia, Henry Aaron has eclipsed the mark set by Babe Ruth. Because you got to remember, he was a black player in the deep racist South in 1974. And if you read any of the books or the history of that time, it's amazing the racist uh, messages and threats that he got. Uh, people don't have any idea, even today, how much his life was in danger. They had to have security for him uh, at all times. Um, 
I have a personal story. It's kind of a father-son story. So I was seven at the time. I lived in Birmingham, Alabama, and my parents let me stay up late to watch the game. And I was sitting with my dad watching uh, the game when when Hank hit the home run. And it meant a lot, uh, especially to me, because as you guys know, I have a lot of teams, the Braves being one of them. Growing up in Alabama, Atlanta was all they had. And so he and I would go every summer to go watch the Braves. We would go watch Hank. And of course, my favorite pitcher was Phil Necro, who also just passed another um, great legendary pitcher uh, gone uh, and, and a, along with Don Sutton. It's been a, a difficult, difficult period of time for uh, legends. But um, it was it was very poignant just thinking back on the memory I had of me and my dad watching Hank's home run, knowing how close I was to the Braves going there every year. Uh, and Hank Aaron was my favorite player. So um, it was, it was a, uh, it was bittersweet. Hank, you know, had lived a great life. His, his uh, activity actually, after he left baseball, uh, he left even more of a mark um, in Atlanta and uh, uh, we'll miss him. You know, Pope, uh, I feel for your loss there. And I agree with you. He's the greatest home run hitter of all time. And I, I agree. He's the the real record holder. Uh, there are very few players just picking up on what something we just talked about, about, you know, never rooting for opponents. There are very, very few players who it's just really, really hard to root against. And Hank Aaron was one of those. I didn't get nearly enough time to watch Hank Aaron in my lifetime, but he was just not a player you could root against. And uh, there was some real giants. In addition to those that you mentioned, one of the real giant managers, Tommy Lasorda, we lost. And Don Sutton, I read something just unbelievable. Did you know that Don Sutton had uh, 756 consecutive starts without missing a turn in the rotation and the most consecutive starts only behind uh Cy Young the most starts other than Cy Young and Nolan Ryan 300 wins Hall of Famer and his career overlapped at its start with Sandy Koufax and ended with Fernando Valenzuela I mean think about that what a Andy hosted the gong show didn't he Look, the you know I I don't know if being the home run king lost some luster with the steroid era. I think it probably did, but at one point it was the and and I think at one point you know largely during Hank Aaron's reign, it was the most important uh, title to have in sports. Maybe next to heavyweight champion of the world, but to be the home run king really meant something. I think a big a big thing to just go on Pope, what you were saying about the times that Hank Aaron did it, what he had to go through. Um, you know, baseball remains uh, in a lot of ways, the heart and soul of this country. Football's, you know, obviously a, a, a bigger endeavor. Now it's a bigger industry in the country. And, uh, and you could argue that, that the NBA has picked up uh, sort of the cultural uh, uh baton at this point, but baseball is what so many dads and sons, like you said, go to together. It's still one of the sports where a family of four can afford 
to attend a game and, and have a hot dog and a soda. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure we've all heard it, but, but it's a true, it's a quote uh, about America. And, and it was, whoever wants to know the heart and mind of America had better learn baseball. And that's because baseball led the way uh, in so many uh, ways of the race uh, uh, integration in this country and sports culture, society, et cetera. And certainly Hank Aaron, uh, he absorbed a lot of the blows uh, that allowed progress to happen. And so it's, it's, it certainly is a big loss for the country. Yeah. And I just add a lot of Hank Aaron's and I'm really sad. I never got to, to play, but you guys are so much older than me. So, <laughs> um, but uh you know, he's re- especially for our youth now, you know, he's remembered as this, you know, home run king. But I mean, his stats were amazing. I mean, he's I think he hit career. His career batting average was 305. Um, I think he had almost 3,800 hits. Uh, I think 2,300 RBIs in his career and in, in a career that spanned what, 20 years, two decades from the 50s to the 70s. You don't see that. I mean, that those are crazy stats. And so it wasn't just this this race to beat Babe Ruth, which I can't even fathom that when your your family's getting death threats and to go through all that. But just an unbelievable all around baseball player, not just home runs. And you know that that needs to be remembered in his legacy. As the oldest guy here, I've, I really. You are. I feel like I have to say, look at this. If you the the listeners don't see us, but I've got a picture of the uh, 1975 Topps baseball card of Hank Aaron behind me that I bought when I was 13 years old, and have saved ever since. Um, I was 12 when Hank hit number 715, and it was the most emotional thing I had ever witnessed in sports followed maybe only by being in the car with my parents and hearing that Roberto Clemente had died and then Thurman Munson too, who was one of my, you know, my home team guy. Um, Hank Aaron was, you know, you, we can talk about how hard it was for him to chase the home run lead and then Barry Bonds the thing about Barry, Barry you, you can say whatever you want about the legitimacy of Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds was a black man who passed out a black man. Hank Aaron, in a time of extreme racism in this country, was passing out Babe Ruth, the babe. And the stuff he endured was unbelievable. So it pains me to hear people today remembering Henry Aaron as just simply a model of consistency who hit a bunch of home runs, man, he was so much more than that. Um, If you have never seen his autobiography called I had a hammer that he wrote with uh, Lonnie Wheeler, it is probably the best sports book I've ever read. And it came out in 1991. I haven't looked at it since I finished reading it in 91. And in preparation for this episode, I pulled it out and there was this big yellow sticker in it. And I opened up to the page of the yellow sticker. And it's talking about all the death, the racist death threats he had when he was trying to pass out 
Babe Ruth. And I mean, the stuff is incredible. Dear N-word, dear N-word, dear black boy, dear Mr. N-word. I mean, it's just awful the stuff people wrote to this guy. And he endured with such tremendous dignity and was not just this quiet guy who hit a bunch of home runs, but he was like the best ambassador to baseball that we have ever seen. He started out in the Negro League as it was in its dying days. He was the first guy to to integrate a Southern minor league baseball team. When he got to the majors, he was only seven years after Jackie Robinson. And so he endured the same kind of stuff that we all hear about Jackie Robinson. It's just that nobody reports on Hank Aaron having to do all this. He, um, He was a big advocate for desegregating training camps. When he came into baseball, the whites and the blacks didn't even train together. They certainly didn't travel together on the road in Southern cities and there were no black managers. Um, He was a big advocate for black managers. I I would really encourage everybody out there to read. I, I had a hammer, Um, but that's not all as Patrick points out. He, I don't think he's the home run King. I think he's the greatest person who ever put on a major league baseball uniform. He, he today holds the record for RBIs. Most in all time. Um, he, you're, you're right. He had a 305 batting average and was a two-time batting champ. You don't, you don't usually hear that about home run people. Um, all-time base bases leader, total bases leader, third all-time hits, fourth all-time runs. And he won Gold Gloves three times. People in his era, people were talking about um, Ted Williams, great, maybe the greatest pure hitter of all times. Ted, Ted Williams was terrible in the field and wouldn't run the bases. You know, Henry Aaron was just an all-around five-talent five guy. He could do it all. He did it all, did it all with grace. And it's just a tremendous loss. And I would say let's all have a little toast, a little, little sip of bourbon for Hammer and Hank. The Hammer. The Hammer. Well, from dignity to the opposite of dignity, House, the punchable face of the week. Your nominees are. You know, we had a, some options this week, but I'm my punchable face of the week, talking about lack of dignity, as you mentioned. You know, we are at a time in this country with this pandemic where we're coming up on 450,000 lives lost, families suffering badly. Um, Sports and athletes more than ever could really serve as great role models uh, for this country during this time. Right now, the NBA and Adam Silver are entertaining this notion that its athletes should jump to the front of the line to get vaccinated so that the NBA season can go on normally. And I think that is the most disgusting and entitled viewpoint that I've heard in sports in a long time. These guys are um, making millions and millions of dollars. Listen, for all the good the NBA did last year, put in that league in a bubble, and there was the first league to put it inside 
go through a season successfully, complete a season without anybody getting sick and having a championship. Then they brought it into the real world. They're still playing in stadiums without any fans. The only ones that are responsible for getting infected are the players themselves, if they're being irresponsible, or the coaches. And the way they've managed this season with just erratically saying some teams have to play, like the Sixers and the Celtics, who in consecutive days had to put seven guys on the floor, then eight guys on the floor, and then the team like the Washington Bullets, who can take off two weeks from the season because the whole whole team is sick. I mean, Silver is an absolute disgrace right now. And if, in the end, if in the end, he ends up adopting this policy saying that we're going to vaccinate all these players, that would be a really, really bad thing for sports. Um, and the NBA and its commissioner, Adam Silver, is who this week I want to punch in the face. I defer to you guys on your punchable face of the week. Now, listen, hey, my favorite part of the NBA season is when the Wizards aren't playing. So, I mean, hey, <laughs> that's 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 the calmest point of the season for me. So, I think that's a good one. The Knicks aren't playing. They aren't losing. That's my thing. Yeah, exactly. Evidently, Connor McGregor had the most punchable face of the week. Yeah, he did. Ask it. <laughs> Sorry about that, Milk. <laughs> All right. Anybody have any any last parting thoughts? I, I have a punchable face that I think is. I, I mean, I I think Alvin, Adam Silver has been a great commissioner, but I absolutely agree with you, House, about what you just said. But God, we have to talk about Jared Porter, right? I mean, it wasn't something he did this week, but it came out this week. The guy when he was the uh, director of pro scouting for the Cubs in 2016 gets onto a a uh, elevator at Yankee stadium with some woman who is a correspondent from another country covering baseball. She barely speaks English. He he exchanges uh, business cards with her and proceeds to start stalking her by text message. Cover that little guy's ears there, milk. This is going to get dirty. Um, (laughs) Anyway, he sends her, he starts sending her pictures of, of his hard on and his sweatpants. When that doesn't work, he ultimately sends her a dick pic and then follows up with like 60 something stalking text messages to her. I mean, what the hell? I mean, dude, you really, are there still guys out there who think this is the way to hit on women? (laughs) I got news for you, man. Women don't want to see your dick. And Oh, by the way, they're not into, um, Cargo shorts, either. Just that's just a little extra for you, freebie. Anyone think that anyone think that guy needs a pass? Because I give credit to Steve Cohen, who who said we're coming in here with integrity on the Mets, and he got rid of two people real fast, no questions asked. Definitely another punchable. Definitely, definitely another punchable face. What about Dan Campbell? I wouldn't punch him because I don't want to have my kneecap bitten off, but. <laughs> probably could be punched for that stupid press conference. All right. Anybody else? Any, any other punchable faces? I think we got them. All right. Well, uh, good job guys. Next week, Super Bowl predictions. I'm going to give somebody a 0.00% chance of winning that game. And I'll that let you know who it is football next week. I'll let you know. <laughs>
Uh-huh. Talk to y'all. Same mistake. See you guys next week. See you next Next week, week, guys. Later. Adios, amigos. Think about Yet our best trained, best educated, best equipped, best prepared troops refuse to fight. Matter of fact, it's safe to say that they would rather switch than fight.
Yeah.